that shit applies to startups too. Everything. Like when the startup life of year one and two for us required 60, 80, 100 hour weeks, you were like, cool, I know how to work hard. And um, it does, yeah, it doesn't matter if before that manifestation was in basketball, next it's startups and it'll be present in the next thing that you do. What's up, y'all? Kevin and Mike Wagstaff here. This is Bootstrapping SaaS to Millions. Lessons, stories, tips, everything we've learned over the course of five, six years now, um, building a profitable SaaS business from zero to an eight-figure business. What's up, dude? What's up? How's uh, the week going for you? Uh, it's starting off with some fireworks, man. Um, starting off with a bang. Um, we've had some some competitor announcements in our industry. Um, you know, one of them's going to free. That's a topic for another day. Um, we've had a few... Um, upset users in our user group and so that's the topic for today that i want to riff on is um knowing when to fire a customer and how and how that dynamic uh, impacts your team yeah and this is tough i think at different stages of our growth we've had different perspectives on it obviously the first few hundred customers we were deathly afraid to fire any customer because anybody said anything bad about us we thought would have this like domino effect that would crush our company maybe that was true maybe it wasn't but as we've grown, we've come to realize the value of when to stop accepting money from a customer and say, hey, they're not worth it. So so what are some of the things that um, that be, could be a good indication you should stop doing business with a particular client? Yeah, let's let's dive right into it. And then we can rewind back of what our mindset was um, in the first, you know, 10, first 10, 20, 30 customers. But I think the first thing that comes to my mind is a, a threat. Not like a not like a physical threat or like they're gonna hurt you, but more of a um, if you don't do this, I will do bad thing. Uh, whether that's leave you a bad review, trash you on other in, you know forums, industry, to other people, um, that kind of starts the combative pattern. <laughs> that's the first thing that comes to mind for me. For me, it's like the the bombastic customer that everything is so dramatic and like when something some of our customers that were singing our praises in the early days because we did like one thing great eventually kind of flipped on us and like if one thing didn't go well they were posting across every social channel they could of how terrible we are and how we're bad people and we're targeting them and discriminating against them and um that mindset to me indicates a kind of um unhinged nature that sucks the energy from you as a founder and from your team members from your employees and if you tolerate that stuff your, your team members and, and even you might not come to enjoy the business you're running because you're doing this for some guys paying you a hundred bucks a month. And each time you feel some type of like a emotional, visceral, something inside you, I think you got to listen to that when, when you're speaking with a client. If they make you feel that type of way, that's an early signal of saying like, okay, this may not be healthy long-term on my stress. So what do you say to people that are like, hey, the customer's always right? Um, no, you're not. First of all, um, I, you know, I say, you know what I say, I, I feel that in this circumstance, I, that's the thing. It's hard to even, it's hard to even go down that path because it's all context specific. So to me, I say, um, you're, you're not wrong in wanting X, Y, Z. It's the way it's being communicated and the professionals. And I, and I anchor it back to values. I think that's usually how I handle it is like, you're not wrong in your, everyone wants something to happen. You're not wrong in your thing that you want to have us accomplish for you or your end goal. I don't like the way you're making me feel and we don't have to do business with each other. 
Yeah, because I think at the end of the day, you're not running a public utility. We're each running a business and we're each getting to decide what that business is, what it's about, who we serve. And just like so many restaurants have that sign saying we refuse, <laughs> or we reserve the right to refuse service to anyone that should go unsaid in SAS. And we fired a couple customers who thought like that wasn't an option. That wasn't a possibility. And in every instance, they came back and were like, I'm sorry. I, I, you know, I, I really want to do, and it was too late at that point. Like we had given enough warnings and saying, Hey, this is unacceptable behavior. We're not going to tolerate this. And so to make it concrete, I think some examples were like being verbally abusive to our support team. Yep. The people that are doing our frontline tech support work so hard. You and I, Kevin, we did that for years. Yep. We know how draining it can be when you have a customer that's just telling you that you're an asshole or you're an idiot for not fixing the thing that might only be affecting just them that you try really hard to figure out, but maybe you can't, but they think they've somehow been targeted and that we're spiting them just to, <laughs> for who knows why that kind of self-centered worldview. Um, we've had people that I think are um, just bad mouthing, you know, whether it's us in other forums or just making other users of our platform feel belittled and like unwelcomed in our Facebook community. And those are things that, Hey, like for the good of the whole, like a cancer, I think it needs to be cut out so that the whole community can benefit. You don't want that bad apple to ruin the whole bunch, right? Yep. And it gets easier. Did you feel like it, what, at what number of customers did you feel it got easier or more mm -hmm. okay? Probably a thousand. Once we had a thousand customers, okay. you know, and that's like, I'd say a hundred if you're new. I, yeah. yeah. I would say we should have done it way earlier. We put up with some bullshit that we should not have. <laughs> and we did it because we were scared because we were, worried that like everything was so fragile and that there would be this domino effect. I think we have a word of mouth based industry. Right. And I think we've also come to learn that the people that are frankly dicks, everybody knows it. And so if they're the ones that are saying, Oh, Spectora sucks. Everybody puts it into the context of like, yeah, you're probably the asshole that made, you know, yeah, you made this happen. <laughs> you trashed your last software. Um, and that's another uh, red flag, I think, as mm. a freelancer, anyone that's freelanced gets this of someone comes to you and they immediately start bitching about their ex. <laughs> they yeah. immediately bitch about the last agency, the last company. Um, and in hindsight, some of the clients we have fired did that. I re vividly remember the sales call. It immediately went into why the past software sucked. And now we're that software that they're going to bash to the next person. And it's a cycle that goes on and on. And so if nothing else, that could be an early indicator of like, okay, maybe I do the anti-sell here. Uh, do without it's the same thing in hiring. If somebody's just bashing their former employer, red flag, yep. same thing in relationships, yep. dating somebody and they're just bashing the last person they dated. What a red flag. And I think, yeah, with clients, same deal. The hard part is early on in when you're trying to get your first 10 or hundred customers, when you turn someone that is combative, that is demanding, you win them over and then they go say, then the positive word of mouth works in your favor. Their loud nature, the megaphone turns positive. That's usually the mindset of early on, right? Was we're like, if we could just turn them, he'll be a loud mouth in the best way. Yeah. And for some it's true. It's some, some is true. It works out, right? And I think we gave a pass to some of the early customers that because they were helpful in getting the word out about us early on, we tolerated them being total assholes later. Mm -hmm. And eventually there's a couple that we fired. So glad we did. One of the best decisions we ever made. Our employees were singing our praises and saying, ah, oh, our owners, our bosses respect us as team members, and they're not going to make us put up with bullshit for just a few hundred bucks a month. Our um, user group 
was like, wow, this place feels so much better. I'm so glad you did that. They were just bringing down the energy and bringing down the vibe. And if the vibe of your user group sucks, man, that's going to make it really hard to get more customers. So you got to think long-term. You got to think for the good of the whole. It's hard to do when you're in the early stages. I bet it's hard. I, we have no context for this, but like in the enterprise B2B space. Oh. So say it's a contract that's 50 grand a year, 100 grand a year, a million a year. Oh. And, the, and then your, your main contacts are just a-holes and they just are always on your shit. And so like that's got to be tough making that call but you got to somehow try to quantify the toll it takes on your sleep on your stress on uh, how often you're thinking about it and maybe measure that in your hourly rate mm -hmm. whatever you you know there's this this theme now of everyone saying like what's your hourly rate and if it's lower than that outsource it or don't deal with it and so maybe you think to yourself hey if this is taxing me yeah. for hours a week and there's a bottom line effect. Like we think about the bottom line when we prioritize features, when we're mm -hmm. deciding whether to bring in somebody greener that we have to put in a ton of training to for some experience that can get going. Think about how much time you put into each client. If you have somebody that takes up like a hundred hours of your time every month because of just the, ta the, the toll, the stresses that they bring versus your average client is like, yeah, half hour, they write in, they have a few issues, they're agreeable, they understand when you're not gonna build a feature right away wow, what, what can you do for that average if you just fire that one customer It takes up so much of your time and get more of those customers and only take up a half hour of your time every month? That can send your business through the roof if you only serve those customers. Picking your clientele is one of the biggest things you can do to move your business. Mm, that's a great way to think about it. I really like that a lot because the, 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 the people that have selflessly promoted us we, we did exercise at one point, right? Where we were like, what are characteristics of these clients and how do we cater our marketing and our messaging towards that audience? Yeah. Like go find more of the high vibe people, which we joined an organization, IEB, that speaks to that. And so this is just the opposite, I guess, is rooting out the bad ones. Yeah. We talked about earlier on, like picking a niche for your space. Mm -hmm. And I think you can even pick a sub niche within that niche and say, hey, I either just want like the tech savvy, the high quality, the uh, the top of the market, because usually those people come with those traits that you want to interact with. Usually the people that are more successful in business, we find to be more empathetic, uh, to be more understanding, to understand the long term game. You don't want to be doing business with the shitty people. That's a shitty way to to live. Yeah. And I think and maybe it's crafting some questions, maybe. Right. So so if you're a freelancer early on is crafting your onboarding or your sales even to mix in. Just figuring out if people are empathetic, if your clients um, understand your point of view. Yeah. This is kind of this kind of borders on weird territory. Right. Because typically it's like at all costs, get customers early on. And that's fair. Right. And we did do that. Um, we put up with a lot of shit. So um, but after that, you kind of um, I've anti-sold clients on sales calls. I'm just like, ah, you know what, maybe this isn't the best fit. Like I really just go that direction and I've gotten better over time, but it's scary. It's scary. I mean, you're saying no to money, yeah, but you're saying yes to less stress, your values, things like that. hundred um, percent. What else? Like, should we talk about, I want to hear kind of your, your take on that moment when you wrote up the email, the client reaction, when you fired them, that mm -hmm. could be, that could be juicy to hear about. <laughs> uh, see if I remember the email. I mean, it was basically a couple of years ago and I, I believe I had apprehension. I was scared to do it. I had a personal relationship. We both did with this client and, uh, and I just couldn't find the words. I felt like I, I just wasn't equipped to do it. And, and Mike took it on and, uh, wrote a, wrote a great email. 
Yeah, thanks. I don't I don't remember the content. It was over the phone, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I, in my 20s, I, I probably had a lot of breakups. And <laughs> I, I have a little bit more practice with breaking up. And so, yeah, I think it was just very much like, uh, hey, this isn't serving us. This is uh, something that we just can't tolerate. Like, we have to think about the good of the community. And um, there's plenty of options out there for software. Mm -hmm. We're no longer an option for you. Oh. And it's simple. It's to the point. It's it was business like. It was professional. I wasn't going to critique them or try and like change them or like reform them. It's like a relationship, right? You can't like badger somebody into becoming that thing you want, right? And um, yeah. And it you know it was delivered. And of course, initially they were suddenly like, "Oh no, I'm sorry. I'll change." Like I, I take it all back or I'll I'll, I'll shut up. I just I can't be kicked off your software now. And I, you know, maybe there's some leeway where I'm like, "Hey, I'll give you a month." You know, like consider this your 30 day notice. And I think for the entire month, they were sending me daily emails, just like, hey, what will it take? I'll do this, I'll do that. But by then, no, it's, it's like, we already know that this is not good. It's not good for us. If you haven't responded to us when we were being very polite and respectful, <laughs> if it takes like this for you to suddenly think that it's like serious, we don't want to do business with you anyways. And so, yeah, there was a lot of um, attempts. Uh, you know, I think I had to build like a certain feature to like, you know, I had to build in all the uh, tech to lock out their account where they couldn't do certain things, but saying, hey, you still have access to past data. I'm not trying to sink your business. You're gonna have access to past data. I'm gonna give you an export of everything in our system so that you can easily transition to one of our competitors. Yep. Um, totally happy to do it. Eventually they they went away, they shut up and- Life's been better. Life's been better. Maybe not for the competitor we sent them to, <laughs> which is great, hey. I think too. But. Um, that is how it goes. And I think we should now we're in a position where we're probably going to be doing that for a couple more. Mm -hmm. And it feels really good. And I, and I feel more confident being able to do that now. And I think everybody should always feel like that's an option for you. Yeah. And I, and if it feels like a struggle, I think being in that moment, it, like it's a muscle that we built up of like, wow, this feels really hard every time this person writes in that's a signal to take action and do something as opposed to like, maybe they'll get better. Eh, just have them deal with it a little longer. That just builds up resentment that builds bad energy. And, and so, yeah, I think being in that moment yeah. and saying, this feels really hard. Yeah. And I love tying in themes of like everything we've talked about over the past 10 episodes or whatever. And it feels like there's this theme of us, um, one, having practice, having hard conversations, right? Um, what makes something hard? I think it's when um, it hits something deep and maybe threatens like, you know, the business, the bottom line, but um, us having continuously elevating standards, having more clear of a vision of what we want this thing to be, what we want it to become, and knowing that everything we do has to serve that endpoint allows us to make some of these decisions easier. Whereas if you're like living day to day and just like, oh, I need to get like one more customer, one more customer, that um, that's a very different mindset. That feels like that almost kind of fight or flight, like you're tense, you're, you're scared. Um, Whereas if you kind of zoom out and say, hey, what's going to serve me? What am I going to look back on in a year and be like, damn, I'm glad I did that. To me, that's a huge theme that I want to put into more of the decisions that we make day to day. I don't think we're great at it yet. No. I think we're working on it. We're getting there. And this speaks to like immediately when you said that I was like clarity of vision, like mm -hmm. the clarity of where we're going and having conviction in that makes these things easier. Oh, yeah. It connects to like the firings we've done lately of just saying, hey, we have a very clear vision of the team that we need to build. Yep. And it starts with kind of rooting out some of the people that aren't on board with what, what our vision is. And um, same thing with the clients, 
you know, it, it applies to the software and us rebuilding the things that we know are not as great on our software as the standards that we want to have. And it takes time and we have to have patience. Can't all happen overnight, but it is, um, it is the process that we're going through as founders is saying, we, we know what we want and we're going to get there. And the only thing I would do different if we could go back and I want to hear your version of this too, is taking the reps, communicating the vision and trying that on a little earlier, maybe not in the beginning, because in the beginning you do just have to scrap and get the next customer and get to sustainability. But what we're doing now, like this, this podcast is a repetition in talking about our clarity and our vision and what we want to go towards. Um, it's just funny. I didn't believe in this stuff until we started doing it. And then everything ties back to that thing. Yeah. I know it's, uh, yeah, people talk about manifesting reality and like some people think it's like woo woo and out mm -hmm. there, but your, your thoughts and your words really do translate into action. They translate to expectations. When you talk to them, talk about that, your thoughts with other people, that becomes this like commitment to accountability. Mm -hmm. And the more we do this, the better we get, the more we talk to each other, the more clear and real it becomes and even if in the beginning we were kind of like hesitant then we become resolute and then it's and it's been working like we talked about earlier like we always would set these goals for numbers we want to hit and i think mine were always like invariably 20 or 30 percent <laughs> higher than yours but by just continuing to say we're going to hit a thousand customers a year, we're going to hit two thousand customers a year and we've always succeeded and is that manifesting a reality? I don't know. Is it just like, hey, we have this goal and then we work to do the things we need to to get there? It's, um, there's something to it. Maybe. There is. Because you don't know how good you can be until you push those upper limits. And uh, there was some book I was reading talking about upper limit problems mm -hmm. when people start to feel like there's a limit on what could be accomplished or where you can get. Um, there's usually some self-limiting belief tied in there, some insecurity, some like not feeling <sighs> worthy of getting to those levels. And then once you start thinking in that lens, you know, putting that lens on, you're just like, oh, why am I scared to set a goal? And this might be my background as a therapist and counselor, but like it's vulnerability, right? When you say, I'm going to do this, it's being vulnerable because if you fail, when people ask you, hey, did you get to a thousand customers? And you're like, nah. Uh, and failure, I mean, that's why I think it's becoming so prized in the Silicon Valley community is like failure means you're probably setting audacious goals. If you're not setting audacious goals, like ask yourself why, because I think that's the only way to, to achieve them. Oh man, this is turning into multi, multi uh, layered or multi topic <laughs> pod, but I love this. I love this is going because we just this morning in our leadership meeting, we, I think one of our team was like, Hey, we should adjust our goals down for the year. Cause we're not on pace. And Mike and I were in agreement of like, no, no, we don't need to do that just to feel good. Like we hit a goal. We don't need that like gold star or trophy keep it audacious because then we're going to do things that are audacious and things that maybe will take more risks will be um, more assertive yeah. to try to hit those goals. And so an example that I think about is growing up, I wanted to be in the NBA. That was my goal. Literally set it at the top. Set, yeah. <laughs> uh, I was playing basketball and I, I, since I was like six or eight, I didn't hit that goal. Obviously I'm here. And uh, I think building that muscle of setting a ridiculous goal and not hitting it, is something you have to do a couple times in life and you've done it in many instances too. I want to hear your story about this, but I still ended up getting a college scholarship. And yeah. so it, it, I landed among the stars, whatever that <laughs> saying is shoot for the moon. But that's my example of like, okay, I've done that before. And I felt the letdown, yeah. but then in hindsight, you're happy with the results. Still. You're happy with the results and you built the muscles to 
both physically and metaphorically, you built the, the muscles, the skills that you needed to just stick with things and try hard. Like you would stay after practice and shoot like a hundred more free throws after everybody else went home. You would do like the two a day workouts to make sure that you were going to be the best conditioned person out there. And those are the, that shit applies to startups too. Everything. Like when the startup life of year one and two for us required 60, 80, hundred hour weeks, you were like, cool, I know how to work hard. And, um, it does. Yeah. It doesn't matter if before that manifestation was in basketball next it's startups and it'll be present in the next thing that you do. And that to me is irreplaceable. And it be, it was because you had an audacious goal. I didn't realize it was vulnerability at the time either. That's what's crazy about it is like you publicly and very overtly were saying, I'm throwing everything at this one thing. And then you think in your head, everyone's going to like see you up on stage when you fail. But in reality, Everyone's busy doing their thing, living their life, thinking about their own failures and successes. Um, where did you build that muscle to throw yourself all into something? You've always thrown yourself, like when it comes to relationships, yeah. work, like you've, you've gone all in and taken risks. Um, you know, I think it comes back to dad, you know, and when he would say like, hey, if you're going to do something, like give well. it your all, do it, do it well. And so in school, I was always a kid that did like every extra credit assignment, anything I did, I was like, I had my own standard that was above, like it, I didn't care what the standard for an A was. My standard was above that. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I don't know, I just built that into everything I did. Like when I, you know, threw my all into building an iPhone game that I knew was never going to be lucrative. I knew it was not like, uh, uh, you know, have mass market appeal, but I was just like, dude, I'm doing this for the craft of building something well. And, that that discipline that ability to keep seeing things through until completion and and you're right that ability to just say like i am giving my all to this thing or in grad school is like one of the few students that were like oh i'm gonna write a thesis and do original research as opposed to doing the test that most people do take the hard path to me that's always the, the path of most growth and so anytime i'm faced with a fork in the road i say what's the harder path because i believe that is what is going to build us up and we're the best tools for life for building anything so i don't know if i can point other than like our upbringing and just you know some of it i'm sure is like the wiring and and whatever it is that, that we're born with but um that'd be the the advice it's like always choose the harder path that's going to build you up more and not to get too not to put too much of my like psychology hat on which i'm completely unqualified to do but digging into maybe what causes you to work to fear failure and like deep down like what you experienced growing up maybe that makes you feel um worried about putting things out there into the world yeah. because there's literally no cost to do it there's right. no cost other than the social accountability of hey i'm gonna lose 10 pounds hey i'm gonna lose 100 pounds right. um i'm gonna go for the olympics or i'm gonna you know create a billion dollar startup I think it's a muscle to build up I and we're, we're actively building it. It's not a huge muscle for us yet. We're still no. trying it on. I still view this as like, Hey, this company's practice for the next company. Right. right now we're taking a lot of the, the lumps. We're doing the uh, hard things so that in the next iteration, we're going to be even better. Whatever that next thing is. We don't know what it is. We don't know if there will be a next thing. Maybe we do this the rest of our lives. Who knows? But the better we are with every single day showing up and saying, how am I going to learn? How am I going to grow? How am I going to challenge myself? everything else that comes from it will be better. Yeah. And shoot, it's compounding. We're five years in. That's, that's a That's a good topic for another pod that we should do is commitment and compounding interest. Whereas like, gosh, I listened to a couple of podcasts where it sounds like they're working on a new idea every week Yeah, and we're five years in yeah. and it's uh, and it's amazing. It snowballs. So 
Well, we it seems like we touch a lot of things and we just want to talk about firing customers. Yeah, so. we meandered, but uh, <laughs> hey. Hey, if you want to hear more about any of these things we touched on, just write in, let us know. We'll um, be happy to dive into anything more that could be helpful. Cool. All right. right Thanks, everybody. Good stuff. Thanks. See you next week.